Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 again today. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been in this passage, hopefully learning lessons for the last days. And today, in the latter portion of chapter 3, in reference to these lessons, we come to an exciting portion if you're a Christian, especially if you're a preacher and a Christian, it's going to be hard to stay on task because these verses are how we as believers are to respond in the last days. I like to think of myself as young. I'm reminded almost weekly that I'm not as such as I wish I was. And then you hear these babies having babies and um, a lot of things remind you that you're not as young as you once were or would like to be. But in my young life as a minister, you've heard me say something that I hope you've heard clearly. And maybe it's just a different angle because of growing up in church and growing up in this church and just looking at a different perspective that I want to be sure as I lead, not just in the church, but as I lead in general, that believers understand that we have a job to do here, now. We don't just get saved and whew, got that out of the way, got my ticket, and I'm ready when he's ready. That's a fraction of a portion of the believer's life. I scan the room quite often for different reasons, quite honestly. Take mental notes. Who's asleep? Who's not here? Third week, put them down. Y'all don't know this. We have people up in the organ chambers taking pictures every other Sunday. Just... He's really thought about that. I have. Anyway. But I think if we're not careful, we'll get so fixated on the return of Christ and life after that, that we forget that there's a life here to live. As I scan the room week after week, I see from young to old, which is always a positive for a healthy church. There's a lot of young, young ones over there. There's young ones in children's church. There's young ones in here, and there's some of you that aren't so young anymore. But the reality is that we're all still here. And we don't usually have difficulty responding in good times. Is that fair to say? We all respond differently in good times. Some are ecstatic and jovial and bouncing off the walls all the time, and some are just like, oh, that's a good, appreciate that happening. But we're still here. 
And the Bible is very clear that in the last days, which by definition means the days we're living in, from the death, birth, resurrection, birth, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus until he returns, we're living in those last days. The last days definitively in Scripture are not the days right before the second coming. It's the days, it's the years, it's the 2,000, nearly 1,990 years since he roughly ascended. Those were all the last days. We've been living in the last days. If you're 40 or 400, you've been living in the last days. But we're told in Scripture, and this is my review so I don't have to spend a lot of time on the first nine verses, that not only are we living in the last days, but the last days will progressively get worse and worse. While we're still here, we have an obligation biblically to respond to those last day worsenings. We're all responding. I think about this every Sunday. You know, we, we live in an age of response, and, and 20 years ago, you used to have more response. And the days of the Billy Graham Crusades and a lot of Crusades and, and some other Crusades that are around here, you always had responses, and altars were full, and people were crying, and sawdust was flying, or whatever. And then you look and say, well, what is, people don't respond like they used to. Well, maybe they don't respond visibly like they used to, but I'm reminded frequently Every Sunday, every time the gospel is preached, there's always a response. A man, a woman, a boy or girl, every Sunday responds to God's word in one way or the other. In the day that we're living in, we're all responding to what we see, what we read, what we hear, what we experience. And we're called in 2 Timothy 3 in the last days to respond to these last day issues, if you will. So that's enough. That saved me a few minutes of preaching, and you're excited about that. We like to stand here and honor God's Word. Would you stand if you're in 2 Timothy chapter 3? I'm going to read verses 10 through 17 and try my best to preach three points of how we are to respond. I hate to even say to respond, because that sounds like future how we are to be responding right now to these last days. I would never start a text with but, a conjunction like that, if I hadn't already preached the first nine verses. So you have to all look at me like you know there were nine verses before that we preached. <laughs> but, there's a transition there. But thou, you Christians, you have fully known my doctrine Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Paul, teaching young Timothy, teaching believers through the inspiration of Scripture. But you have fully known my life, my persecutions, my afflictions, which came to me in three different cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, listen, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly, y'all listen, this is the time, right now is the time to listen. You can go back to sleep, take a nap, take notes, do your calendar, plan for school right after this verse. If you don't hear anything else, this is the verse. Yea, and all, Paul says, I've been through persecutions, you know about them. 
Yea, and all that will live godly. This is really the message. All of you, all of us who are born-again Christians who have a desire and strive to live godly shall suffer persecution. That changes the believer's perspective immensely when we are looking for it, expecting it, and not caught off guard when persecutions take place. You say, well, I haven't, and I don't plan on suffering persecution. Well, based on the Word of God, they already flipped to 13. Y'all in a hurry to get somewhere? (laughs) Based on the Word of God, that means go to 12, yeah. All that strive, all that live godly. Everybody with me? Everybody good? I know. Well, you're still standing up, man. I don't like that. (laughs) If you try to live godly, you will suffer persecution. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But there are some who are Christians who are not striving to live godly. And they're on easy street every day. I don't know what they're griping about. What are they so sad about? I don't know. That thing's great for me. I must be given enough. That's not in the message. That's different. All right, y'all ready? Verse 13. But evil men and seducers, this is encouraging. They're going to get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, conjunction, change verse. But continue thou, you continue thou in the things which you have learned and has been assured of, of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture. We've heard this verse, and we don't usually understand the context of this verse. It's a great verse. Memorize this verse. It's a good verse. But understand the context of this verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto, unto all good works. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to not just be hearers, but be doers. Help us to understand we are living in the last days, and that as believers, truly born-again believers, we have an obligation to respond biblically. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lessons for the last days, looking specifically today at the believer's response to the realities of the last days. I really did take up some time for introduction there, so we'll move right into the text. From the very beginning, Paul makes a transition contrasting the life of true believers. In verses 1 through 9, Paul gives some pretty plain and, quite honestly, harsh He presents harsh characteristics of many in the church who are professing to be something they're not. He gives examples of guys like Jonas and Jambres, if you remember them, who were contrasting Moses. And he says that eventually they will be exposed. And last week we talked about those exposures. That there are many in the church, the local church, and in the the church as a whole who are professing to be Christian, 
But one day it will be made known that they're not. Some of that is happening in the last days right now. Well, we shouldn't judge them. We don't have to. We have eyes, we have ears, we have the Word of God, and it's pretty obvious. Here's going to talk about church attendance. No, that's just one little sign. So I won't. In verses 1 through 9, he gives, once again, pretty personal. He talks about them having lips of godliness, a form of godliness. They're shaped like godly people, but inside they're hollow. On Wednesday night, by the way, we've been studying the book of James. We finished the chapter. Just under three months, we finished chapter one. We're doing good. I think it's fair to say this past Wednesday, we had the largest Wednesday night Bible study crowd that I can remember in like literally my lifetime. It was a big crowd in here. I thought they were going to vote me out. I thought people got together <laughs> and decided now's the time to have the vote. I was worried that we we're going to have a, um, a business meeting. And James correlates with a lot of the teaching here of Paul to Timothy, and we've been in James, talking about the difference in being and doing, saying and doing. James tells us a lot about people who will one day be identified, either now, tomorrow, next week, or in the judgment, who profess to be something they weren't. And it's important for us to understand that Paul is teaching Timothy and teaching the church about behavior that's going on in the local church in the last days. False teachers? When we say false teachers, we probably, if we had been in church any amount of time, we think of Paul's day. But Paul is talking about his day and our day and any day between Paul's day and Jesus returning. And the reality is there are false teachers today. It's not going to stop. When we hear about persecutions, and I'm getting ahead of myself, waxing worse and worse, it's not just, he's not just referring to um, Christians going through persecutions and persecutors getting worse and worse. He's saying this idea of false teaching, false doctrine, false preaching, false believing, fakes are going to get worse and worse. It's not like, oh, Paul had, Paul had to deal with those false teachers and it's going away. No, Paul dealt with it and it's grown exponentially. We'll take a quick time out and throw something in. Might just help you. Might be, oh, here he goes. As I've studied 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 over the last month or so, a thought keeps jumping out to me that I want to say about every five minutes. In our society, here he goes, as a believer, as a rational, semi-educated believer, I'm just trying to lump us all in an average together, we, have, we must begin to put a premium on truth. Yes. 
Biblically, there is only one truth. But yet we live in a last day scenario where there is no absolute truth. You've heard me say that. Prayerfully, we know that. But what is happening, I'm not going there, so everybody just relax. What's happening in our culture is a, a dilution of truth, a, um, a, a world of fake news to where we can't trust anything, and I'm not conspiracy all the way, but I am at least a conspiracy that the devil, we have an enemy, we do have a biblical enemy known as Satan who is pretty sharp, and he is striving to create a culture of ambiguity in regards to the truth. Such confusion to where we start to question everything we hear. So that at some point, we question all authority, which ultimately gets us to the Word of God. So, here's where I get a little out there. I think we're being trained. I think the enemy, I didn't say the Democrats, I didn't say that. Some of you, I didn't say that. I think we got some on the other side that are just as conniving and evil as they are. And I think some of them don't know it. I think some of them are under the impression they're doing the right thing and they've been cultivated. But this generation is being trained to question everything, to doubt everything, to the point to where even in some of the social, can y'all tell I'm trying to choose my words carefully? Even in some of the, the social activities, we're afraid to address because it gets to the place where you can't know that for a fact. And since you're one of those, then you're all just bigots and fill in other words. But it all comes back to knowledge. Why? I'm trying to stay away from it, but some of the things that are adamantly contrary to the Word of God, the only, y'all understand, the only source we have now in America, in the education system, the only source we have to combat some of the garbage that's being taught as this is all right. The only thing we have to combat that with is this textbook. Because they're eliminating rational thoughts in other textbooks. Or as we, now we have tech books. Because they have an iPad with a curriculum. I'm not anti that. But you can change a tech book overnight. He's way, off in the, he's way off in the ditch now. Um, y'all understand when we grew up, by the way, a bunch of us old folks around here, you know, y'all had tech books. How did y'all ever make it? And I look around in every meeting, I'm like, it looked like we did pretty good. But that's relative and that's mean. I don't even know where I'm at. Paul says, you're to be different. I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there. If you, if you use this as your textbook for life, you're going to be different. You're going to be contrasted to the world. 
Where did you get that novel idea? The Word of God. Well, that's not in our history book, and that's not in our biology book. Well, it used to be, but, but it's in this book. And so, we're going we're gonna to contrast culture just by believing this book in a lot of ways that we never thought we'd have to. And Paul says, but you, you're different. You're different than that verses one through nine crowd. And you've known me. You've known my teaching. You've known my manner of life. And I've got points here that I'll rush through. Paul said, you've known my practice. You've known how I've lived. He says, you knew my teaching. You knew my manner of life, my purpose. You know all about me. That fully known there in the King James means you have perfect understanding of me. Paul was saying, my life is an open book. I've been transparent. You know my warts. You know my moles. You know everything about me that's wrong and bad. And you know the good I've done. I've been an open book. I've been a leader. I've been an example. Follow me. Oh, could we say that as adults to a younger generation? Look at me and try to repeat what I'm doing. Now, if we're honest, we don't want everybody to repeat what we've been doing. But that behooves us to be accountable to the younger generation to say, hey, look at me. Now, let's just, let's, let's make this easier for us to swallow. Let's at least just minimize it to believing and acting on the Word of God. This, this will include more of us in this conversation. We understand we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So, we don't want to teach our kids, hey, do like I did. And that, y'all with me? Some of you that probably haven't lived perfectly all your life. Just look at me and quit looking so pious and holy and say, um, don't want to teach them that. But let's in our older days, in our wiser, more mature, discipled days, at least tell our kids, tell the young people in church, hey, um, you know about me. Let's do it this way. You know I'm messed up. You know I'm falling short. But you know I've tried my best to stick with the Word of God. And that's what Paul's saying. Yeah, yeah, dad messes up. Yeah, mom messed up. Yeah, I did blah, 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 blah. But you know son in the faith. You know son biologically. You know children. You know teenagers. You know where we stand on the word of God. And Paul says, you've known this, but you've known this. You're different. You're not like these false professors and false teachers. You know the truth. And he says, not only... Do we see Paul's practice? We see his persecution. What's interesting about this, I don't have time to preach this out because I want to get to where I want to go, is Paul lists the first, the persecutions he experienced in his first missionary journey. Most say that Paul had three, maybe four missionary journeys, and he lists three cities, interestingly enough, that goes all the way back to his first missionary journeys when, when Timothy was on a passy. I don't know. But for some reason, he says, hey, let's go back to the beginning. You've known, you, the history is there of the persecutions I've suffered. I want to throw this out, and I hope you get something out of it. Then he says, he talks about God's provisions. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and the persecutions I've endured. It just started there, and it's continued on. Does everybody know where Paul's at writing this letter? Prison. A Roman prison. Does everybody know? Let's all get in this together before he dies. Not for murder, not for stealing, but for being a Christian. 
Paul is writing this letter and he says, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Amen. You know, it's like, Paul, do you know you're in prison? Now, this is a message that I'm going to make in a couple minutes. The world would look at Paul and say, Paul, the Lord delivered you? You're in prison for the last time. It's over. You're about to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Do you know that? But through them all, the Lord delivered. By the way, it wasn't a surprise. He knew he was about to die. He knew this was the end. But the Lord delivered me. Paul had perspective. He knew Paul had physically, God had physically delivered him. I think the lesson's there. I think the, the, the language is there. But Paul knew his deliverance was truly spiritual and not physical. The word delivered there, I'm just goofy enough to look into it. It comes from a Greek word that actually stems from another base word, a lot Greek, Greek's odd. So it's two words. One of the words that we get the word delivered from means to flow, like water to flow. The other one has to do with blood. It's a, like a blood flow. And I, I believe contextually the language teaches that Paul had a different perspective because he understood physically he hadn't been delivered. But spiritually, his perspective was, I'm delivered no matter what happens to me. How else? Listen, let's just cut to the chase. The question of all questions has been this in the church. And the longer we last... He didn't, he didn't come back last night, doesn't look like. Okay? The longer we're here, the more the question weighs on our minds as believers, what kind of persecutions are we going to have to face? We'll even maybe ask this question, maybe you're asking it now, what is persecution? Well, I did the research on that, and the word persecution in the Greek means persecution in English. It just sounds bad. Persecution has different flavors, different colors, different styles, different types. As I, I will tell you this. I, I don't have the answer to what type of persecution Americans are going to have to face. I've got some opinions. I don't like to hear myself give those opinions. But I think it's completely unfair and quite honestly ridiculous to think that we wouldn't suffer physical persecution when parts of the world have been suffering physical persecution for our, our lifetime. See, what I have found out is the longer we live and the longer we're in the last days, the more people start, oh there, I'm going to just barely scratch the surface, don't get excited. The more people start to question what tribulation looks like. Ooh, he said it. Pre, post, ah, mid. Forget the, the, the pretext to the tribulation. Let's just talk, think about tribulation. Because it used to be where, oh, one day Christians are going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make a decision where they're going to die for their faith. It's like one day, they're doing it right now. They've been doing it for the last hundred years in other countries. That's how Americanized we become in America with religion and Christianity. I find it, I try to be careful. I hope y'all know this. 
I try not to respond when I hear some things, and I try to be very careful how I say anything remotely close to persecution in the Christian life. But sometimes we get a little flippant and a little careless with advertising the persecutions we're going through. I'm just, I'm not going to get into that because I might hurt a feeling or two, but be careful how much you're saying you've been persecuted for your faith. I think we are, and I think there are different levels. I think there are different types. Lord, I've had the trials of Job. That's, a, that's pretty hard, pretty difficult. Um, Job wasn't put in a cage and boiled in grease for being a Christian. Oh, that was, that, that escalated quickly. Well, it's happening in other third world countries right now, in Muslim-led countries for Christians. I mean, the people are still being tortured for just being a Christian. So we start to change our perspective of what this looks like and what last days look like and what persecution looks like. But what we are told, let's come back to reality, thankfully, because it got hot there for a second, is that we will suffer persecution. It will happen. The question in Paul's response to God's provision is, let's just put it, could we be in the place Paul's at? Could we be in prison? And be able to encourage somebody with, through everything God has delivered me. That's perspective. Paul understood. Let's just, I didn't, we didn't plan this out. Paul understood he had victory in Jesus. He understood that no matter what happened, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He understood that. So he had perspective. And, and if he could get to the place where he's in his last days on death row in prison and be able to encourage a young believer and encourage the church 2,000 years later, surely we ought to be in the place where we have the perspective as a believer that when we suffer this minimal persecution or somebody makes fun of us or somebody calls us out in school or so we don't get a promotion because we're one of those or whatever, that we don't say, oh, woe is me, the trials of Job, oh, I'm suffering such persecution. That's perspective. And what you're hearing right now, let's just be honest, this hurts. What you're hearing right now, which is nothing, is the collective agreement or condition of the American church. Because it's tough to talk about. I mean, we, is it all right if I dig where we're at and not just talk about things that don't matter? When, when, when the pandem pandemic happened, a lot of people suddenly became church-going Christians. Why? They didn't want to have to wear a mask, or they didn't want to have to get a shot. I'm not the only pastor that got calls from people that they ain't seen in years saying, hey, can you write a letter so that I don't have to get a shot? And I've said this before. A, I didn't know I had that much authority. And B, I ain't writing a letter for nobody I ain't seen at church in a year. And I didn't. Now, did I sign some things for some people that are in this room right now? Absolutely, because they're here, they're faithful, and if they say that's their Christian thing, that's their Christian thing because I know they're Christian based on their life. 
I got people I still hadn't responded to. Honestly. That's mean. You should respond. Well, A, they weren't a member. B, they hadn't been here. And C, I didn't know I had that authority. There's my excuse. Now it's public. Somebody watch this and take notes next week and write me a letter. But there it is. I'm not going to be held accountable for that. That was persecution. Now, do I agree with it? I think it was wrong, wrong, wrong. I think it's still wrong. I think it's wrong that thousands of our military are not in the military anymore because they wouldn't take a shot. And I can go way off subject with some of my opinions about that. But what it did was it was a, a slight bit of pressure to where some people had to start making up their mind. What am I going to be? Am I going to be one or not? I try not to bring that up, but it happens. So we see the contrast. Here we are. Here's the good news. Verse 12, the certainty of persecutions. I've already touched on this, so we won't spend much time there. He talks about his persecution, and he tells Timothy and the church, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. That word godly there with the little g means a a devout, dedicated. This is the type of Christian that God desires anyway. But what's happening is in the last days, we'll begin to find out who's devout and who's not devout. Who is and who isn't. The promise of persecution. When I was in VBS back in my childhood days and we were forced to memorize half of the New Testament for a piece of paper and maybe a Tootsie Roll and a plastic trophy. We had to memorize the Beatitudes. If you were to ask these kids today to memorize all the Beatitudes, they would look at you like you lost your ever-loving mind. I mean, we're trying to shorten John 3:16. God loved the world. Good job, Billy. Next week, we'll come back with three more words. My parents weren't devout like Pharisees, but they were. I was going to learn the Beatitudes or there would be consequences. But I can remember then, and we need to be reminded now, that Jesus in the Beatitudes, the happy are yous. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Stop, I'm not going to fill this in the rest. There's three more words. You remember as a kid learning the Beatitudes, blessed are you when men shall persecute and revile you. What does that mean? No idea. Give me my trophy. But Jesus said to his disciples, happy are you, fulfilled, prosperous are you. There's a lot I could say there, but here's the reality. Jesus said it was going to happen for my sake. A lot of times we like to say, well, they they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, you ticked them off, and now they're mad at you. That's different, and you just happen to be a Christian. That happens to all of us, by the way. Anybody ever tick somebody off? Not because you quoted them Scripture, but because you were just in a bad mood that day. 
It happens. It's like, well, well they, they don't like me anymore because they found out I go to church. No, they don't like you because you're mean. That's not, this, that's not this text. The text is, blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you, not because you're a liar and a cheat, but for my name's sake. Because you're a Christian. Because you do believe the Bible. Because you are committed to God's people and God's church and God's meetings and, and all that's biblical. You're committed to that. And so that's why they persecute you. And in John chapter 15, hey, listen, we've been told for years that persecution's going to happen. We're just now waking up to say, hey, it might actually happen. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, if you're a believer, this is going to happen. In John 15, in verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Such a strong word, Jesus, to say hate. Well, guess what they do? Why? Remember, the servant's not greater than his sword. They have persecuted me. They will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Why did they get mad at Jesus? He was truth. He was the embodiment of truth. He cut through their stuff. He messed up their religion. Matter of fact, for those of you who are anti, he messed up their politics. He was a rebel. He was messing up their revenue. He's messing up their political system. He's messing up their religious system. Why? Because he was truth. I'm just going to, this sounds real old-fashioned, but when you bring truth into the conversation, you're going to mess up somebody's party. You're going to mess up somebody's business. You're going to mess up somebody's politics. You're going to mess up somebody's relationships. Are we prepared for that? One of the greatest assets is the perspective to know I'm about to mess up somebody's party. I didn't say you take it on to be the party pooper, right? Like, this is a situation that I've been invited into. I didn't say go mess up somebody's stuff uninvited. Everybody with me? But when you walk into the situation with truth, things are going to get messed up. And there will be some persecution. There will be some name-calling. And there'll be some blacklisting. And there'll be some no longer getting favors. And there'll be some, you're going to lose that position. Or we're going to do everything we can to stop you. And that's what they did to Jesus. Because he was truth. And he spoke and he lived truth into their messed up world. And Jesus says, if you were of the world, come on in, have a seat. But because you're not of the world... They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you for my name's sake. Here's the question. Are we prepared? Because here's where the last days are going. Here's where Timothy is teaching, Paul's teaching Timothy. As this happens, it will be manifest over and over who is and who is not born again. We get caught up in, oh, judging or trying to, no, we don't have to do that. Listen, there's going to be time, time will tell. 
You don't have to get on the list and say, well, I'm going to be, I'm gonna, where do I sign up? Uh, I would like to volunteer at our church. Um, I'd like to be on the judge list, and I'd like to help the pastor um, discern who is and who is not. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Are we talking about it as a pastoral staff to make sure we're reaching out to people as an evangelistic outreach? Yes, we talked about it Tuesday for a long time. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because it's important. And because, quite honestly, uh, I had a list of active members and inactive members printed out. And one's thicker than the other. And it ain't the right one. Oh, I can't believe it. What are you going to do? Well, we're going we're to be nice about it. Because that's what I do best. But... That should be concerning to a pastor. I know. I read minds. I'll tell you, that's one of my spiritual gifts. Some of you, some of you are, does he know that a lot of them are at another church right now? Yeah, I know. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> By the way, some of them already quit there, but that's a different story. Yeah, I know that. Have we marked them out? Absolutely. Yeah. Former. That's not who I'm talking about. You got to laugh about it to get along, I promise you. And I'm all right with it. They're probably watching. But anyway, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm speaking for every preacher and every pastor of every church where he cares about them. You don't want your inactive list to be bigger than your active list. And you need to find out where they're at, not so they give, not so they fill a pew so they go to heaven. And I'm being honest. Do I want them to give? Yeah. Do I want them to fill a pew? Yeah. Do I want them to sing in the choir? Yeah. Do I want them to play an instrument? Yeah. Do I want them on a team? Yeah. But do I want them in heaven more than that? Absolutely. And that's why we're here. The word persecution here comes from a Greek base. Now, I'm, I'm, some of you took notes. Persecution means persecution. But the, the root word or the base word where we get persecution means to press toward, to press toward, toward, to press toward. And what persecution will do in the last days, it'll press a person one way or the other. Toward God, toward their faith, toward who they really are, one way or the other. It's going to, things are going to be filtered out. They are being filtered out until that final day. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And every day, verse 13, it gets worse and worse. We not only see the promise of persecution, we have the progression of the persecutors. I love this because it's not as bad as it sounds. Well, that's not right. It's bad. But it's bad in a different way as well. But evil men... And seducers shall wax worse and worse. The false preaching, the false teaching, all that's going to get worse. I, 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 I made, I didn't vow, but I did tell you last week I wasn't calling names. And I'm still not calling names because some of you get excited when I call names and some of you get offended. So I'm not going to do that. But we tell our kids to not tell the whole truth is to tell a lie. Maybe we don't. If you tell half the truth, 
and not the whole truth, is that not considered a lie? This side, some of you are sleeping. I need this side to. It's funny when I say that and people are sleeping. And then you hope they really wake up. I'm like, did, who's he talking about me? Did he look at me? And then after church, it's like, well, did, you re- did you see me? I'm like, no, but you just, you just gave yourself away. I appreciate that. I got certain ones I can count on, but that's different. If somebody asks you a question, you tell them only half the truth, it's probably. Mm, you know, the best lies have a lot of truth mingled in with it, right? That, y'all don't, I don't know. I don't know if I trust him. Should I say amen to that or not? I don't know. Is he going somewhere with this or not? But when you sprinkle enough truth to kind of decoy and hide the lies, it's still a lie. If you're going to a church or someone who calls them a church or a meeting and, and they're filling your mind with a lot of falsities that are anti-scripture, they're still lies even though they throw in God loves you every now and then. And it's going to get worse and worse. I didn't say it. God said it. But what's interesting about it is they're deceiving people, but they're deceiving their own selves. Deceiving and being deceived. I, I preached this on Wednesday when we were in James chapter 1, self-deception. Self-deception is overlooked in the church. And people, we live in a generation of self-deception. We look in the mirror, James says, you look in the mirror and you see something that's wrong and you turn around and then you immediately forget deceiving yourselves. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Look, surely God knows I went to church three Sundays this quarter. Yeah, you look into the mirror of God's Word and you say, whoa, ah, that hurts. I need to change that. I'm good. It will, it will wax worse and worse. And those deceivers will begin deceiving themselves worse and worse. Where they'll, I believe, the Bible teaches that people that know they're deceiving will end up deceiving themselves and not even know that they're deceived. They'll get up and preach lies and really believe it. You can, you can talk yourself into believing a lie. I look good. Surely, I lost four pounds this week. Well, how do you know? I just know. Did you get on a scale? No. But if you get on the scale, whoa, whoa. Should have laid off of those. People start to deceive themselves. And here's the last part, which I think is the greatest, and I got no time. How do we know this? I'm going to spend time on this later for your sanity and mine. But the last two verses, the last four verses, really, are really what all of this truth of living in the last days depends on, hinges on, is foundational to I've preached for nearly 50 minutes roughly now. Didn't finish, I know. But everything I've said other than an opinion here and there comes from the absolute truth of the Word of God. Yeah, we'll be persecuted. Yeah, it's going to get worse and worse. We are to continue in what we know. 
The last four verses is really a sermon, and I thought it might turn out this way, so I'll save that for next year, next week. But 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and I am going to stop because I know where this will go. And it's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in all righteousness. It's profitable for teaching, telling us what's right. For reproof, telling us what's not right. For correction, telling us how to get right. I'll say that again next week for those of you taking notes. Every bit of what I'm teaching comes from the Word of God. But every bit of what I'm teaching doesn't matter one iota if the Word of God is not dependable, if the Word of God is not truth. Everything we believe in the church, in the true church, in true believers, in true professors, in true teachers, it's all about this book. And that sounds like the most old, ancient, obvious thing that a pastor at a church could ever say. But nobody in here with half a brainstem can see our world, can see our culture, and not completely agree that we're fastly heading to a place to where we have to completely discontinue this. We have to water it down. We have to go along to get along. And we have to find out, we have to make a decision, well, some of that's not really meant for today. Y'all with me? I read behind a lot of old preachers. Some are dead guys now, but some of them are close. This is nothing new. The last days were happening 100 years ago. And preachers were preaching the same way. And now here we are in the 21st century seeing, experiencing what a lot of them taught 50 years ago. The Bible tells us every day that Jesus tarries, it gets worse and worse. 50 years ago, church, you know this is true. We say this often and we mean it in a respectful way. Some of our grandparents would lose their minds. Some of our parents would say, are you kidding me? We used to hear old spitting preachers get up and say stuff. Thought, they're crazy. That, and they're like, whoa, maybe they weren't as crazy as we thought they were. What they did, they believed the Bible, and they believed it was going to get worse. And, and when the Bible talks about vain imaginations and unnatural I mean, we used to just think of what that could be. And now, if you don't believe it, you're the one unnatural. Listen, I, I want y'all to know where we're at. We don't have a textbook to go to now and say, mom and dad, man and woman. We only have one book left. This book is outnumbered by a lot of man's philosophies and man's social ideas. But it's still the book of truth. 
I think I'm saying things that you're like, why is he still saying this? But if I've learned anything in this portion, which I'm going to save, this book's under attack. People who live by this book are under attack. And it's only getting started. I could have said that 100 years ago and it would have been true. And if Jesus tarries, I can say it 10 years from now and it'll still be true. Or 100 years now, it'll still be true. But this book lasts forever. And it never changes. And the author of it never changes because he is this book. We cannot, in the last days, waver from this book. You are going to be challenged to waver from this book. I'm, I'm pretty transparent when I'm up here. And I'm looking at some people that are closer to Jesus naturally than I am in, in the world's estimation. And some of this is behind you. But I want to challenge you. You've got kids, you've got grandkids and great-grandkids. You need to be praying for them. You need to be an example for them. You need to be living for them. You may go next week or next year or two years from now, and we might still be here. But don't look at it in your rearview mirror and say, hey, he's not talking to me. I'm talking to you too. But if I'm honest, my heart and my passion and right now what I'm feeling is, and I'm looking, and I could call you by name. I'm looking at young families. I'm looking at young moms and dads that's got infants. I've seen infants and babies being handled around and carried in and out around here. Ten years from now, this is the book that you still must stand firm and true to. We have got to train up our children in the way they should go. Not for political purposes, not to change the president, but to change their direction in life. Do I want to change the country? Yeah. But am I more concerned about changing the trajectory of a person's life and their, total, their final eternal destination? Absolutely. The world may crumble around us. And matter of fact, here's the worst news. It will. But he said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's our obligation as parents to stand firm on the Word of God. It's our obligation as Central Baptist Church to stand firm on the Word of God. It's my humble yet overwhelmingly burdened obligation to stand on this Word. And I know it, and it's difficult, but this is it. This is it. Some of those old preachers get start fussing about carrying your Bible around and throwing it around, and I'm on board with them. This is life and death. This will differentiate you from the world. We can't, we can't lose sight of the truth in this word. Would you stand with me? Am I going to fail in the last days? You might. You might make some bad decisions. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to say something, do something, respond in the wrong way. But ultimately, do you understand this is the word of truth? Do you understand spiritually it's the, the only truth? Do you understand that this word is what tells us that we're separated from God? It's not me. It's not a preacher. It's not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's this. This is truth. 
This is the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them, separate them by thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, Jesus, truth. This is the truth. It tells us the truth about who we are. It tells us the truth about our lostness. It tells the world, it tells people sitting in these pews today, standing now, that you either are or you are not born again. Not me, not a judge, not a Pharisee, but the Word of God. That's why when Jesus showed up, people changed. He shed light on truth, sheds light. And they say, I got to do something about this. And that's where we are today. That's where you potentially are today. I think the world, I think too many people are going to go to hell because they're convinced that somebody told them they're going to go to hell. Instead of understanding the truth that God said, without me, you go to hell. Without me, you're separated from me eternally. Without accepting my son, making him Lord of your life. God said it in the truth of his word, not some pope, God forbid, and not some preacher. God said it. Would you bow and pray with me? If you're here today, do you know that you're born again? If you're here today, you know for sure. Not because you felt something one day, but because the word of God confirms it. These things have I written into you that you may know that you have eternal life in 1 John chapter 5. Do you know, do you have confidence in it? Not because you feel good about it, not because you've been to church a few times, not because you gave some money, but because you're confirmed by the Word of God that you're born again. If not, the truth is, not what the Baptists say, the truth is that God says that we're condemned already in John chapter 3. But God loved the world so much he gave his son. So you don't have to live in a condemned state. You don't have to be condemned forever. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that he sent his son to die for whosoever. If that's you today and you've never made him Lord of your life, of course I would make you if I could, but I encourage you the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart to make Jesus Lord of your life. It's a lot of opinions floating around. It's a lot of universalism floating around. Well, if you just believe in God, do some good things, surely God will let you into heaven. That's a, that's a, a beautiful lie, sending people to an eternal hell separated from God. God's not letting anybody that's good and knows he exists and thinks he's loving into heaven. God's only allowing those who have accepted the price paid by his son Jesus on the cross for their sins into his heaven. That's the truth from the word of God. If you've never done that, you're not ready. And for those of us who are here and know it, know we're born again, are we prepared? We prepared to stand on the truth. If you need to do business with God, you need to accept him as your savior. I believe you can call on him honestly and humbly and make him Lord of your life. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Trust Jesus as your savior. Make him Lord. If you're a Christian, you need to be in prayer asking God for help. While I pray, I'm going to ask you to do that. Father, thank you for your word. And I feel like I've over-elaborated the importance of knowing, but 
the same time, I feel like I can't over-elaborate the importance of knowing that you're born again. And I pray if there's one here today that hasn't, they've never made you Lord of their life, they don't have confirmation in their heart, they don't have victory in Jesus, they don't have peace, I pray today would be the day they make you Lord, accept your gift of salvation. And for us, us that are believers and know it, moms and dads, grandparents, teenagers, God, may we be ready for what's ahead in the last days. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.